The difference between any holiday, Father's Day included, being absolutely wonderful and historic and being absolutely a catastrophe can be very small indeed. The grill blows up. The dog gets the meat off the grill. The relatives, the in-laws, the expectations. Let's just stop there. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Wherever you might be watching today, I am honored that you are still sitting here after that great worship time uh, to tune in with little Bob. (laughs) Two Sundays ago, if you were here, Pastor Bob spoke about some heavy things, judgment of one another and our past, and logs in our eyes. Last Sunday, he spoke about being imposters and hypocrites and the inside of the cup and not the outside as Jesus addressed the Pharisees. Heavy subjects. This is tough stuff. Life is complicated. It can be exhausting. But, but how crucial these messages are that he is speaking to, to regaining and to maintaining the congruency in the church of words and actions. It's Father's Day. Another one of those potentially bittersweet days you've already heard us uh, being sensitive to that on this day, in the midst of family plans and and one day off from the honey-due list. A father cannot escape this day without a a self-projected reminder of how well he is or how well he has been doing on the home front. Some of us may even be offered some unofficial hints today of our current performance. Bittersweet is the best way that I can begin to address this special Sunday when I consider all the stories that I've heard and that will be told, all the memories, some of those very positive, but some of them not so much. For some men on Father's Day, like Mother's Day for ladies, It can be downright difficult because you're reminded perhaps of some loss or or some failure or some regret from the past as a father, perhaps even the fact that you have never had the chance or the privilege or the opportunity or the pleasure of being a father. While many of us are enjoying our fathers still today, for others of us today can also be another day to grieve the loss of our own father, as Rebecca and I are for her own father just five months ago, and my own father from just a little over two years ago. That's the kind of day it is. Whether your father is deceased or in other cases there may have not been a very close relationship, and in some cases no relationship at all. These are some of the realities of Father's Day. Pretend as we may, Hallmark cards do not encompass the realities of the days that we Americans set aside as special 
on our yearly calendars. With that in mind, I want to take one more moment and just ask you to bow with me in prayer. And let's just talk to the Father. You know, God, what every soul in this room is thinking and feeling and walking through today. You're an amazing, omniscient God. You understand what we're feeling. For some, it's great joy. For some, it's tears of sadness and sorrow and regret. Thank you that you love us like we'll never quite understand. Far beyond any love we'll ever know in this world. Be with us. Fill us. Come and visit in a powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, despite the ups and downs of Father's Day, I want to suggest some direction and and some wisdom this morning for all men in general that we might be found as men who will, in the end, fulfill our main life's purpose, which is to bring delight to our Creator and our God. While simple in nature, any one of the following points that I'm going to share with you can easily become our place of struggle. So listen to some timeless traits of a man who goes the distance, who runs and and who finishes well in the high calling of fatherhood and just being a man in general. Number one, he loves God above all other things. He loves God above all other things. A simple, challenging mandate. But listen to what Matthew 10 says. Anyone, and this is from Jesus, who loves his father or mother more than me (coughs) is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Talk about one of Jesus' strongest declarations ever recorded. He loves God above all other things, including what we love most in life. He loves those other things dearly, but they do not enslave him or do they define him. Those are the fill-ins if you have a worship guide today. They do not enslave him or define him. Only one is his master, and carrying his cross is the mark of a man who has surrendered, who has subjected himself to another authority like Jesus did when he submitted himself to death on a cross. He loves God above all. Now that could take the rest of my time, but suffice it to say, men, women, young, and old, this defines a true follower of Christ from the typical American church attender. He loves God above all things. In particular, number two, Jesus comes before self. Luke chapter 9, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Because he will lose his very self if self is what he loves more. What a 2022 American countercultural statement, if there ever was one. He will deny himself? Are you kidding me? He will lose his life for someone else? The man who saves his life is the man who thinks he knows how to handle it, and in trying, he never finds it because it is only found when he bows his life to a much greater God than himself. Which essentially means, number three, Jesus before all things. Luke 14, 33. Another strong declaration in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Now once again, Jesus is not implying here that a man give away everything he owns and become a homeless pauper. But that he strives to give Jesus ownership of everything he has. He does not call Jesus Lord or sing about him being Lord until he is Lord. Jesus comes before all things. It is the difference between living as an owner of things and living as the appointed steward or caretaker of things. Two very different positions. And what a difference that is when one lives as the caretaker and not the owner. Think about it. Every war, every war of conquest in our history ever fought may in fact be at its core the result of people thinking they can own anything and can have power over others, whether that's between two nations or between two partners. Our human nature is always crying out, I will not be satisfied until I have more. So when I own something, I control it, but when I am a steward, I handle it carefully and respect who does own it. The psalmist reminds us, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. And so the man who goes the distance loves God above all things, Jesus comes before self, and Jesus comes before all things. Application question number one, what step do you need, men, to take so that this is true in your life? It has been said, if there is something you cannot give away, you don't own it. It owns you. For some men, the next step is simply to join with a couple of other men and to choose to leave your solo performances to become part of a small team who shares life, who confesses life, and seeks God's favor together in his word and by his spirit. Men, you were made to do life this way. 
Shortly down the road of our church calendar this fall, you will be invited to assemble with just a couple of other men on a regular schedule to begin growing together because when this happens, marriages and families and workplaces and communities win. Jesus before all things. Moving right along, fourthly, he's a man of biblical unity. He's a man of biblical unity. Listen to how Jesus prays in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is actually the true Lord's Prayer. The other one that we often call traditionally the Lord's Prayer is merely an instruction on how to pray. I contend that John 17 is the deepest yearning of Jesus and actually may be the greatest reason why the church at large has lost its appeal. Something about imposters and and hypocrites and not loving each other like Jesus. You just finished singing, lead me in your love to those around me. Are you loving in that way? He is a man of biblical unity. This man dies to his Lone Ranger attitude and he recognizes that the church extends way beyond his own particular theological lines and small traditional biases and that someday he may actually be standing beside brothers and sisters who he would never have guessed we're relying as much on the grace of Christ as he was. He just didn't dress the same way or look the same way or talk the same way or worship or do church the same way. Their traditions were different. The way they prayed was different. Their music was different. The way they expressed worship was not like yours or mine. This is the fourth mark of a man that goes the distance is that he strives toward biblical unity. Instead of critiquing the way that someone operates in their faith, he simply says to them, help me understand why you do things the way you do them. Help me understand. An easy invitation to learn and connect with someone different. Unity among the brethren matters so much to Jesus. And it will as well for the man who goes a distance. Number five, and this sounds a little redundant and repetitive, but sorry, it's number five. He is obedient to God. John 14, 21. Listen to this carefully. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And listen to this. I too will love him and show myself to him. Quite an interesting promise for an imperfect but obedient man. He goes the distance because his obedience brings about an intimacy with Christ that others will never experience who are just playing the North American church-going nice guy role. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to do that in this country. The obedient man will know the power and the strength and the peace of walking in obedience. A second application question. What step do you need to take next for this to be true in your life. Once again, I will suggest as Scripture mandates for men as well as women, you were not created to do this without help and without a few others around your life. I can do this myself is the cry of a man who will pay the cost and the price down the road. A man who goes the distance, cares about obedience to God. Number six, he loves the Word of God. He loves the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How the ugly Statistics would be so radically different in most any category between countries and cities and communities and companies in our homes and in our families and our relationships if we all just lived with that heart cry. Think about it. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I used to think that Psalm 119 meant that if I have memorized his word, but if that is what it meant, it would have read not my heart, it would have read my mind. Anyone can memorize the word. The man after God's heart practices the word. We need to be more concerned with application than we do memorization. The man that I sat with in the El Dorado State Prison a few years ago had a lot of Scripture memorized. And memorization has its pluses. But the world does not need memorizers. It needs men and women and children who are broken and submissive to God's Word. He loves the Word because he learns that the Word rescues him, directs him, protects him, feeds him, connects him to the heart of his God. Men who are willing to meet with other men on a weekly basis will discover that they will also be men who are in the Word of God on a regular basis. You'll find that out. How can a man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That's number six. Number seven, he has a Christ-centered world view. Matthew 28, 
We just prayed for the Lacy's. What a great application to this passage. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This great commission of Jesus is not an option. It is an imperative to the whole church. If he loves God, he will care about the lost. That care for the lost extends way beyond his own culture and community because this is my father's world, as the old song sings, not just my father's country or comfortable camp of commonality. His care will stretch him to learn the basics of seeking out and nurturing other followers of Jesus. He actually practices making disciples. Why? Because Jesus told him to. Now I'm going to go Beckler on you for a moment. He will also battle with the inequities of his culture. This is what a Christ-centered worldview is. He will stand up when he sees people oppressed. He will not turn his head away when he sees a people group mistreated because they are different. He will do what Jesus did. He will be Jesus wherever and to whomever needs him. Isaiah made it pretty darn clear. It's not in your notes, but listen to how God's Word speaks. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. How do you do right? Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 1, oh, for men who will go the distance. Just think for a moment with me. How our country's history at a very critical time may have changed right around the 1960s and 70s. Think about things that happened then that are still affecting us now. Had the church not been so consumed with defining their labels and come together to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, the fatherless, and the widows. Now this is not to suggest that these same needs are not just as apparent today. Dallas Willard, at that same era of time, called it barcode Christianity. If we can be rung up by the great scanner in the sky, then eternal life is secured. He said, with such erroneous understanding, what is the need for a transformed life? Application number three. 
Who are you influencing for Christ right now in your life? Who is it that you are praying for right now in your life? Who is it that you will invite to come to worship right now? A man who goes the distance invests for the future in other people who will invest in other people. His own portfolio just doesn't matter that much. He has a Christ-centered worldview. Number eight, he has a commitment toward prayer. I mean, this is easily the most neglected of all the disciplines of the Christian faith forever. The man who will not pray is a man saying to God, I can do it without you. If I need you, I'll call you. Prayer is the trademark of someone who depends on God for every part of his or her life. The man who will not pray is the man who has yet to come to terms with Jesus' own words of John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The man who will not pray is a man who passes through life never knowing if he has done his father's will because he doesn't know his father. He could be a good man, but he cannot be a godly man. With reference to our title, Going the Distance, Men Who Do Not Pray, they will still go. They just will not know what the end game really is. They will finish too. They just won't have those eternal treasures we read about in Scripture. Using that sporting arena metaphor, they will watch from the stands. Another reason for men coming together, your prayer life will change. You will learn to pray by listening and watching other men pray. Number nine, lastly, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by his own feeble, failing strength. He learns what surrender means. He practices yielding that old, crusty nature to the new nature that God gives him when he begins to trust and follow Jesus. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, so I say, live by the Spirit. That's an imperative. You live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He knows his only source of strength and power is from God's Spirit moving in and through him as his own strength weakens through life as he ages He discovers that God's spirit of strength and wisdom and power and peace grow deeper and deeper as he approaches the end of his life and all that remains because of Jesus. Now, those are nine things. I need to say two more things. Regarding parenting. Most young Christians, I'll say all young Christian parents set out 
with the worthiest of intentions. They follow the instruction books and the manuals and the sermons and the seminars, and they go to the conferences on how to raise godly children who will go on to serve the purposes of God with their lives. This becomes every God-seeking parent's greatest hope and dream, does it not? You know that verse, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it as if they are little robots or kits that you purchase through Amazon that you buy and you assemble correctly. You put in all the right stuff, and you will get the right result. But there's something else going on from day one, and it's called free will. And our children will all utilize that tool one day, sometimes in ways that will leave you wondering what happened. It has been there since Genesis 3. You don't teach them that skill. They come with it built in. It's actually a gift from the Lord. Rebecca reminded me recently of a time when she was offering to hold our little two-year-old niece's hand when that little two-year-old said, I hold my own hand. We strive to, to create little Christians with great intentions only to realize that the faith that we see in them is our faith, and we neglect to reckon with how much influence and how much power we actually have over them until life releases them from your grip. And they become independent with a completely free will to make their own choices about everything from where they will live to who they will marry to who will be their God. We don't own them, remember? They are on loan. I want to conclude this Father's Day message by saying two things, a word to dads and moms, and then a final word about the Bible's model of love. To all of you moms and dads who have carried deep remorse and regret and guilt around for the years that you've convinced yourselves that you failed your children and you did not do all that you could do to lead them to a current, vibrant faith in Christ. They were on loan to you for a season, and you were and are a broken, sinful human being with broken parents yourselves who also did not do it all right. Some big mistakes were made by every one of us. Young parents, you'll be saying the same thing in 20 years. You might want to sit down for what I'm going to say to you. Listen carefully. If the way that your children have chosen to either live for Christ or have currently walked away from Him has largely defined your life right now, and who you are today, then you might be living in idolatry. You might be living in idolatry. What does that mean? 
extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone at the expense of one's devotion to God. Today you may need to be sure that it is Jesus Christ who defines your life and not your children. Younger moms and dads, you might also take this admonition to heart, especially in a culture like ours that wildly worships the wrong things, even our own offspring. You see, God's glory is found in a person who lives in the forgiveness of Christ, who offers from that offer, continues living and growing in Christ, serving His purposes until your last breath. I have seen so many believers in my years who will not take that next step to represent Christ as either a leader or a servant in his or her church or their communities because they have disqualified themselves from thinking they have earned the right to take this step. No one earns the right to take this step. It is usually wrapped around the whipping post of one, a failed marriage, or two, having kids that have walked away from the Lord. I mean, it's like Jesus never really forgave you, and now you are left to live out the sentence, the penalty of your self-determined failure as a parent. So you stay in the background, you sit on the bench, and you let others enjoy fulfilling God's call in their lives. My friends, that is not the glory of God in one's life. Do you need Jesus to die again? Remember the fisherman? Who can forget the fisherman? Who betrayed Jesus on one night three times repeatedly. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Could there be any worse betrayal? And then there's Jesus pulling him to the side shortly after that saying this, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, take care of my sheep. Get back up. Stop letting your failures define you. Two words. Mom and dad, move on. Move on. And two more words. Serve God. Serve God. My last point. A man who goes the distance loves like Jesus loved. Just loves like Jesus loved. The next to the supreme example that has no other comparison in our comprehension, which is the cross of Christ itself. This love that I'm talking about, the Bible's model of love, is well illustrated in the story of how theologian Dale Moody described what his father did and said on the day of this old man's wife's burial and funeral. The elderly man came down one morning as was his custom for breakfast and his wife was sitting across the table from him 
his bride of 55 years, and all of a sudden, the lady slumped over in her chair and fell flat on the floor. He scooped up his bride, and he carried her out to the old pickup, and he sped down the dirt road with his bride like a teenager in a hot rod race. But before he got her to the hospital, the lady was gone. On the night of the funeral, the old man and his two young sons, two young Bible school students, were at the old homestead, rocking quietly on the front porch after the sun had gone down, and all of a sudden, their father sat up in his chair, and he simply said, what is your mother doing right now? What's mama doing right now? These two young theologians for the next hour tried to explain to, their, to the best of their ability what happens after death. When finally the old man said, okay, okay, that's enough. Take me back to the cemetery. They said, Dad, it's late. You're, you're tired. It's been a long day. He said, don't argue with a man who has just lost his wife of 55 years. So they loaded him up. They took him to the cemetery. They got out, and, and he went to the grave with a, a little flashlight, and he shined it around the grave a little bit. And after a few minutes, he stepped back, and he said, you know, it's been a good 55 years. It's been, it's been a good life. You know, you know, it's actually been a good day. It happened just the way I always hoped it would. She died first. He stepped back and he put an arm around both of his sons and he said, you see boys, I always wanted your mother to die first so she would never have to go through the pain of burying me. It's been a good day. We can go home now. Let me say to you that the world's feeble, anemic attempts to depict, to sing about, to portray what they think love and romance is pales in comparison to the love we find described in the Bible and the kind of love that had been going on between this man and woman for 55 years sharing their common commitment to the God of love. The man who goes the distance loves like Jesus does. He sacrifices, he gives, he surrenders, he rescues, he puts others before himself, he serves, he becomes the least. This is 
the high purpose, the grand purpose of God in Christ Jesus for men who will go the distance. Men, are you trusting him? Are are you one who has declared him to be your God? Will you today declare him to be this savior, this king of your life? If that is you today, before you walk out of here, just stop right at the starting point. You'll see it. It's a little area to the left of the exit. You'll see the banner. Someone will help you get started in that journey so that you'll be a man who will go the distance. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of the living God, we have made an offering this morning. We've offered to you our voices and our instruments and our hearts and our emotions. We have offered you the truth that you have given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Now we pray that you would move powerfully, do something that cannot be explained in the hearts of my brothers, that they might today know that they are men who want to go the distance and there's only one way they can pull that off and that is through knowing who made them. Thank you that you have made that clear through your son Jesus and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Receive this benediction from the book of Hebrews taught to me as a little boy by my childhood pastor. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every way, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.